Welcome to this ATS podcast and today we'll be covering uh, the topic of experiences of moving overseas for a research-based position. My name is Dr Alex Jenkins and I'm a respiratory research officer at the University of Nottingham in the UK. Today I'm delighted to be joined by Dr Hayley Luthwaite who's recently finished a postdoc position at the University of McGill in Canada. Now she has recently returned to Australia to assume a position of lecturer at the University of Newcastle. So welcome Hayley and firstly I'd just like to ask you about your experience of moving to Canada. So firstly how did the opportunity arise um, to assume a position of postdoc in Canada? Um, Well I moved to Canada as a postdoc so straight after my PhD. Um, I was kind of in that classic stage Coming to the end of my PhD, I was in the last year and thinking about what to do next and where I want to go in my career. Honestly, um, doing a postdoc was not something that I thought was a viable option. Um, You hear how competitive it is to get postdocs and how many publications you need. Um, But I actually had good support from my PhD supervisors and my PhD team, and they encouraged me to look at opportunities and to look at potential supervisors. Um, So I knew that I wanted to learn more about exercise physiology. I did my PhD in behavioral medicine, so physical activity and COPD. And so actually it was my um, PhD supervisor, Mari Williams, who thought of Dennis Jensen, who was at McGill and thought he would be a good fit for me. Um, So he linked us up and then that kind of started the conversation um, rolling about what opportunities I could apply for and finding funding opportunities, I guess. And so I originally started on a six-month Australian fellowship um, with the conversation with Dennis around how that would continue if um, we enjoyed working together. And I guess that was the risk that we took that went over on a short-term fellowship and just then saw what would happen. Yes, that's quite interesting, really. I suppose that's a very topical area of moving overseas is initially making that sacrifice based on that it's only going to be potentially six months with a view to applying for further funding to stay for longer. So what kind of motivated you to move to Canada and what were you kind of thinking of moving to Canada or was it mainly driven by your PhD supervisor um, towards the end and what considerations kind of came into effect with your final decision on assuming the postdoc position at McGill? Um, Yeah, I didn't choose um, Canada specifically. It was more about what lab and who I wanted to go and work with. And it was just, I was fortunate, I guess, that I had support from my PhD team and who thought of Dennis as a good fit for me. And so that's where it all started really was me um, reaching out to Dennis and that conversation happening. And then it just, um, yeah, realized it was a good fit when we had that discussion. And I guess what considerations did I make? Like, It is a big move, especially when I only had that six-month guaranteed funding up front, and then it was about seeing how it would fit and then applying for more funding. So I guess I really had to make the decision of, is this what I want to do in my career? Do I want to keep going on this research-only path, Um, and am I willing to take that risk of moving over overseas um, and kind of putting my personal life on hold to pursue this research career? And so yes, I decided that that is what I wanted to do. And it is a big sacrifice, I think, to put your personal life on hold. I have a long-term partner who like still lives in Australia and wasn't going to move over 
um, with me because he couldn't do his own commitments. Um, so I had to factor that in and whether that would work in that situation for that circumstance. And I think it's also a bit of a financial commitment. So you have to, you know, put everything um, on hold in Australia as well, as well as making that financial commitment to move overseas and start a new life, I guess, with from scratch um, in in the other country. Okay, yes, that, that's quite um, interesting to speak about your personal situation. Was it one that when this opportunity came up, um, I think uh, you were out there for two years, weren't you, I think, in the end, in yeah. total. Um, so was it one that potentially, I think you also secured funding towards the end of your fellowship as well to potentially stay out for longer? Was it a potential option to actually continue your stay out there? I, mean, I know you kind of had personal um ties with Australia but the opportunity to potentially stay out there was there but you ended up moving back to Australia because of kind of personal and maybe professional um situations as well yeah I I always said that two years was my goal that's the standard postdoc um, that everyone seems to do and it was kind of that was the commitment that I had made in my mind that it would be for two years and that was the discussion that I had um, with my partner and family at home that it would be for the two years. Um, and that's right, I had the six-month fellowship. I was fortunate enough to have um, funding to tie me over as well before another fellowship started, and then that started another two-year fellowship. I think what really made me leave um, the lab, so I came back to Australia about six months ago, was COVID, um, which was unfortunate. So that was in the middle of um, this new fellowship that I had and it was just a period that I'm sure everyone is used to where you're working from home nothing's happening you can't collect any participant data so you might as well be working from Australia because you can't see anyone or any participants anyway but at the same time it was making that decision of am I going to stay that whole extra year given that extra funding um, and I think that that was tough would have been tough during COVID but I think it also would have been mentally tough because I'd only committed to that two-year um, period initially. So I was also thinking about making the move back, yeah, for my personal life, I guess. And you speak briefly about the uh, COVID situation. I mean, it's impacted many people's day-to-day uh, -day living and careers. Um, so how did you find it? Because um, when was it you moved back to Australia about six months ago? So you'd have had a, effectively six or more months of living in a COVID pandemic era um, in isolation um, away from home. How did you find that period of the postdoc? Um, looking back, it actually wasn't so bad. I think I was very naive, as most of us probably were, about how long it would actually go on for. And I remember the start of the lockdown communicating with my participants about how I would see them soon and would restart the study again soon and that obviously still hasn't happened so I think being a postdoc in that time was quite if there is a good time or if there is a good position to be in it is to be a postdoc and have access to data that you can analyze which I was lucky to be in so it actually was a time where I could just um, sit down and focus on the papers that I hadn't finished and that I was still um, writing and the data that still needed to be analyzed so it kind of put a pause on all the face-to-face -face part of the research and allow me to do more of the desk research actually so it was quite a nice intense time I guess that's the one positive side of the lockdown and COVID. 
yeah there's certainly opportunities and uh certain things there's pros and cons i guess um mm. with the lockdown situation especially being a, an early career researcher as well um so kind of speaking about the initial stages of the move to Canada um both kind of personally and professional perspectives really how did you find the first six months of uh, living in Canada and I suppose as well the the stresses of potentially um only having funding for six months and looking beyond that so how did you find them initial stages of the move um I think moving over initially was a little bit daunting like you're moving to a new place I had been to Montreal once before for a conference that was in summer I moved in November the start of winter that seemed to go on for quite a long time Um, so I think it was like a little bit daunting that you're going over by yourself it is in a hugely different time zone to Australia so my support network that I had back at home wasn't awake most of the time that I was awake Um, you don't know the area the climate's completely different they speak French, which I don't speak French. So there was a lot of things that you had to kind of get used to and work um, work out along the way. And things as simple as, so I was on the Australian Fellowship funding. And so because I was getting paid by Australia, I actually didn't have a work permit. So I was on a visitor's um, visa or a visa waiver. So that meant that I couldn't get a phone plan. And so then that, they're just things that you like figure out along the way. So I had to have a travel sim and then I had because I couldn't speak French, I couldn't activate my phone. And then, yeah, so there's just like little practical things like that that were challenging. I also did think that I would get snowed into my apartment um, and because I'd never seen snow when I moved over there and I was very daunted by the possibility of the snow and how cold it got. And I remember before I moved over there, I was Googling like how cold does Montreal get? What's it like in negative 20? What clothes can you wear? Can you go outside? Um, and I soon realized that, yes, you can go outside and it's not so bad. But I think that's just a, how different that climate is compared to Australia and what I was used to. It's just like another unknown on top of everything else, I guess. But professionally, it actually wasn't, it didn't seem hard at all. I was probably fortunate that I had a really good lab going into, um, yeah, and a really good department and supportive department, a supportive lab. And I kind of felt like that transition was quite easy, really. Um, yeah, well, they made it easy for me. Yeah, that's that's reassuring to hear, I suppose, for most people who may be listening and thinking about um, taking an opportunity to tr- go overseas for work-based, um, well, research-based work, that um, there is that institutional level of support there as well to, to help people, because there's obviously a lot of factors to consider, as you've kind of discussed there, helpful things such as, you know, visa issues, also moving from a completely different climate. I mean, it's amazing that that's the first time you've ever seen snow. Um, So, but yeah, I think there's also the things such as the, it's a completely different culture and there being, uh, Montreal's bilingual, isn't it? So I think it's a mixture of French and English. So um, how did you find dealing with the bilingual nature of the society that you were kind of living in on a day-to-day basis? Um, That was something that I relied on the support of the lab um, and, yeah, other researchers or students in the lab as well. Um, You can get by speaking English in certain contexts, but it certainly helps to know French. And so, like I said before, just practical things that, like, if you call a phone number, like a department government phone number or the phone company, 
um, it's always in French or the menus are always in French. So you, it's, you need someone to help you get through that. And of course, there's participant recruitment. So I was working with people with COPD, the older population, um, often French is their first language. And so it helps um, to be able to speak French and yeah. to be, it helps to recruit them speaking in French. But yeah, the, the research team was so established. There was a whole heap of people who could speak French. And so it was just about working out who can help me with that aspect and then what can I help them with? So I think, yeah, it certainly helps going into a, a really established lab um, and research group who's already kind of worked out some of those kinks and, yeah, can yeah. accommodate for that. And I, I suppose there's going to be many people who are going to be listening to this podcast who have moved or who are thinking about moving to another country where, you know, English isn't the first language or their language that they speak. Um, potentially, maybe they don't speak um, English um, as well. Maybe they've got to think about learning these languages. Did you find there was much support really to help with um, in terms of learning a new language? Were, were there options available to you? Was it kind of discussions you had? Um, yeah, there certainly were options. Not that I really took them up that much but so going to McGill like Dennis was certainly supportive of me doing French language lessons for one and you could do lessons at McGill and everyone was always giving me advice on where I could go to do those language lessons um, and then I, again there was always people in the lab willing to help me read and write French yeah. And I think, we, so we had a um, Brazilian student, PhD student, Letitia, come to our lab and she came and one of her goals was to improve her proficiency in English. And so, like, my perspective of that is that everyone was quite supportive um, of that and helping her to improve her English skills. So I think it is a good opportunity. You're moving countries, going to someone who speaks a different language, like why not make the most of that to try and learn the language? Yeah, I certainly think it's an interesting one. It's reassuring to hear that there is that support network there, because um, especially in, in Europe, um, you know, there's many different languages to contend mm. with. And it may be something that people who are considering the move, um, even if they're not just going on their own, if they're taking a young family with them or they're established, uh, you know, a senior academic and they're moving to a country where English isn't the first language, um, that may be a factor in their decision to move really so as great as the position they're being off offered may be um they may not take it based on the issues of actually integrating into society um that local society and learning new languages so i think it's mm -hmm. reassuring to hear that them them options were there for you so um so you've outlined some of the uh, challenges I suppose between differences between living in Australia um, as opposed to Montreal such as um, the weather language difficulties um, and so on so how did you find you overcame some of these challenges that you experienced and you know not just from kind of the cultural aspect um, also thinking about the personal challenges of communicating with family back home um, and your partner so how did you find strategies really to deal with them I think really it was about just being comfortable not being comfortable you know like it was a really good opportunity to push yourself out of your comfort zone and see how like how you go right so I'm not the most extroverted person so it was about like trying to open up and um, ask people for help and make 
new friends with people in the department or in the lab um, who can help you and who can be a source of support. Um, and really, yeah, really just reaching out to people and not being afraid to ask for help. And it was difficult at times, especially with the time zone difference, but like it's all, yeah, it all is worth it in the end. And I think it's a good challenging experience to go through. Um, and it certainly will help me later in my life and in my career, I think. Yeah. So, so you find that kind of going through these challenges and overcoming these things have kind of made you more rounded as uh, individual and as a researcher as well, working in different environments and using different experiences potentially to help better your career moving forwards. Yeah, I think it helps with confidence. Like research is a lot about networking, isn't it? And speaking up mm -hmm. at conferences and events and at meetings and making sure you're part of the conversation. So I think it certainly helps with your confidence in, in doing things like that and participating. Okay, great. And so now we're just going to kind of uh, start to bring things towards a close. So I'm just going to ask you a few questions really about um, your situation now and, you know, moving away and back to Australia. So firstly, kind of you've taken uh, an academic position, congratulations. Um, and just kind of wondering really what tempted you to move back and assume that position because it's more a lecturing based position um, as opposed to a postdoc solid research based position. So what kind of tempted you into this uh, move back? Um, yeah, it was something that I put a lot of thought into both um, do I want to move back and what opportunity would I move back for and when would I move back um, and so like I said earlier two years was really the mental time frame that I'd given myself so I started in the second year I started to look for job opportunities and what was around and what um, I would be interested in applying for and I, I kind of felt like the right time was I felt like I was getting more confident as a researcher I was feeling more independent I certainly had a lot more that I could learn from being in the lab but you can't stay there forever. Um, and I felt like I'd really solidified my relationship with um, Dennis and other researchers in Canada um, and some of the connections that I'd made there that I knew I would be able to continue that relationship on if I went home. So I felt like professionally it was a good place for me to leave. Um, and I knew that the lab had other potential new postdocs coming in and so it would have been a good time also for the lab with me switching out and other postdocs coming in. And so with all that in consideration, I started looking for job opportunities. I had a conversation with Dennis about um, applying for jobs um, and what he thought about it. And did he think I was ready to take up an academic position? And so we kind of decided that I would apply for the jobs that I really wanted. So when I'm not in a position that I have to leave, um, I still have funding left and I could stay um, for quite a bit longer Then, yeah, it would just be about applying for those jobs that I did really want. Um, and then obviously as time went on and I didn't get any jobs, fortunately that didn't happen, then maybe the mentality around that would change. But yeah. Okay. So, and when you actually came to leaving Canada, did, did you find you were going through a similar range of emotions as when you left for Australia in the sense of, did you feel that Canada had almost become a bit like a new home for you? Yeah, it was pretty sad, actually, like leaving the friends you'd made, the job that I enjoyed doing, um, especially during COVID times when you don't know when you'll be able to go back. 
the difference is that it was I was going back to something familiar so it wasn't that like nerve-wracking feeling of not knowing what's ahead of you I knew what was ahead of me Um, but yeah it was certainly sad leaving and hopefully that I can go back soon okay great and what do you feel looking back on the experience as a whole you've gained from uh, taking that two-year position in uh, McGill um, I think specific to the postdoc, I think when you finish your PhD, I don't know if other people have this feeling, but I felt like it's kind of like a fog that lifts, like this whole time you've been so consumed in your PhD, you're only thinking mm. about your PhD, you kind of have that stress like always with you as well. And then as soon as I got there, I was like that all lifted and it was like, wow, there's actually research and life and ideas outside of my PhD project. Yeah. So I think it just gave me the time and the energy to really just read and learn more about what I did want to do in the future, what research I wanted to do, what skills that I want to learn. And like, you just have the time to actually learn new skills and develop old skills. Um, I didn't have a teaching commitment. So it was just purely research, whatever I wanted to do, I got done. And like, I was the only limiter really. Um, And there's not that impending doom deadline of the PhD thesis looming over you (laughs) okay great uh so um so now if someone was looking to um be in the position that you were towards the end of your phd or you know even later on in their career looking at moving uh, to another institution overseas um what would you potentially say to people considering making that move um, before they go you know what what are the potential strengths of the move they're looking to pursue and what considerations um, should they be looking to make before they make a final decision? Um, I think good things about moving overseas, um, especially for a research job, is that, well, for me, it was working with a completely new group of people, right? So never worked with them before. I was meeting a lot of new people, for one. So you're just like building your network and you're also just um, learning about new ways to do new things or new ways to do the same thing that maybe you just never would have thought about before. So just like getting new perspectives on things and then you can take, take what you've learned from that, take what you've learned before and use that in your own way to move forward kind of thing. So I think it just exposes you to that whole new environment for someone who wants to move overseas. I would say that, yes, it is daunting. And I had that same feeling and there's a lot of practical things to work out, but you work them out. And if you have a good, lab and a good supportive network a good supervisor or mentor yeah then it will all work out I think like a good tip a good tip is to have someone at home so I had a good professional mentor my PhD supervisor who I could always if I was stressed about something or didn't know how to work with um, my new lab then I could always bounce ideas off her and she would talk me through it so I think that's important to have a constant mentor back home who you like trust and can confide in yeah, so I think that's quite interesting what, what you're saying about um, it is daunting and I think sometimes maybe people may get themselves in a situation where they look at the barriers to the move as opposed to looking at the positives. So there are a lot of logistical challenges, you know, mm-hmm. away from the prof- professional side of things. But I think, you know, sometimes with these moves, it sounds like from your experience, you've just got to almost take the leap of faith and um, and give it a go. Um so because I think we're quite fortunate in academia where we can forge careers for ourselves almost anywhere um, that we yeah. want to. So, 
you know, if something doesn't work out, there's always the opportunity to potentially explore something else somewhere else. So um, but there's always something to gain from the experience of having done it as opposed to not and taking potentially maybe the safer option. But there's obviously lots of things with family and um, other factors to consider for those who are potentially more senior um, in their career. Yeah, exactly. And I guess that's a very from a privileged position that I'm saying that, that I had the finances and Mm. like support, I guess, to do that. And so that's obviously a consideration that would be a major and like warranted limitation to moving overseas. But I think if you do have that financial and um, social support to do it, then, yeah, definitely worth taking the leap. And I suppose kind of almost flipping um, the viewpoint really is, would you kind of have any tips for there may be potentially um, supervisors or managers listening to this podcast who may be taking on someone from another country? So based on kind of your experience, did you feel that, you know, there were some things that, you know, your supervisor in Canada gave, you know, that were really useful? And were there potentially some things, you know, that you go, or oh, maybe this might have helped, um, you know, me to settle more or, you know, just in mm. general, really help them move that a little bit easier. Yeah, I think just being conscious of how hard it is to move overseas for someone mm. and that there are a lot of practical things that you have to work out and work out along the way. Um, I was lucky that um, Dennis was very conscious of that. Like he picked me up from the airport, made that I had made sure that I knew like what area to stay in in Montreal and um yeah, help me through a lot of the practical things and put me in contact with the right support staff. So I think, yeah, you really have to be conscious of that and um, the difficulties and some stress that that could cause. Okay, yeah, I think it's in, it's interesting that, you know, there's there's some insight um, potentially for people in those positions to consider um, from, you know, the perspective of someone who has moved overseas and experienced it. So I think that's always good knowledge to share. So just to finish off with the last question, really, um, you know, you're an early career researcher. You've done one move before. Would it be something that you'd potentially explore doing again in the future later on in your career? Um, I think I really would want to, and perhaps it wouldn't be for so long. I would do a shorter um, period of time. Yeah, I think it would be a good opportunity, and it was something that I would really like to do um, while in my position, say, here in Australia and to go on a sabbatical overseas um, or to do like a short-term fellowship overseas. Mm. Um, There's plenty of people that I would love to work with, especially who are overseas as well as being in Australia. So, yeah, I think it would be a great um, opportunity and I would always be looking for those opportunities. Okay, that's great. So um, so that concludes the this ATS podcast. So I hope um, everyone who's listened has enjoyed it and found it useful and um, drawing on Haley's experience of moving overseas. Um, so I'd just like to say thank you, Haley, for providing um, such good insight um, based on your experiences of being in Canada. Um, and we'll potentially maybe look in the future at um, doing another podcast following on from this with maybe someone more senior um, with, you know, who's got the family commitments as well, because I think everyone is, you know, very different in this circumstance. And I know there's a lot of um issues to consider with moving overseas um, which apply to to different sets of people so thank you ever so much Hayley for that I really appreciate it and uh, yeah I hope you enjoyed listening and uh, we'll hear from you soon.